0: from the Yiddish Book Center I'm Emma Morgenstern and today I'm here with Naftali Edelman who is the founder of Yiddish Farm Uh, so welcome Naftali thank you Um, so I was hoping that you could just tell me a little bit about what Yiddish Farm is to start off
1: Yiddish Farm is an actual working organic farm in upstate New York uh, that runs Yiddish immersion programming in order to uh, help people actually become fluent in the language Uh, The reason we started the program was because although there's many opportunities for people to learn Yiddish uh, in classes all over the world, uh, many people don't actually have the opportunity to use it uh, the way that people do with other languages when they study abroad. Um, So we decided to start actually a farm where people can come and be fully immersed in Yiddish among native Yiddish speakers so that they could actually come for a period of time, live there, and come out speaking Yiddish fluently.
0: So why a farm?
1: That's the million-dollar question. <laughs> um, <laughs> everyone's asking me that. So there's there's a lot of reasons. Um, first of all, I love farming, but um, and, and and a lot of other people do as well. You can you know there's all these articles all the time in uh, the New York Times and all other all kinds of other uh, media about how um, increasingly people are uh, interested in where their food is coming from. Uh, when people go on vacations, they like to visit farms. Uh, it's, just a, it's a great way to have people come together and make a community and um, live a really full, integrated, satisfying life. Um, that being said, there's, there's more that actually is specifically um, makes sense with language immersion. Um, I wanted to have a place where people could actually live and work and do something productive um, that could br- generate income so that it could be more sustainable. So, you know, rather than have people just sit around and have a Yiddish conversation while drinking coffee, um, farming is something that, uh, first of all, can be done in sort of an isolated context. Um, So when you're living on the farm and working there, you're not interacting constantly with other languages. Um, So it's a really kind of ideal setting to have people be fully immersed.
0: Where is the farm?
1: The farm is in Upstate New York, in Goshen, New York, on uh, off of Route Seventeen.
0: Uh, nice biblical name.
1: Nice <laughs> biblical name, exactly. It, not just a biblical name. It, it, um, in the Bible, Goshen is actually uh, known for its uh, for its fertile pastures. Uh, it's when the Israelites are in Egypt, Joseph asks Pharaoh if he can if his family can go live uh, in Goshen uh, to to uh, pasture their sheep. Um, so it's very fitting. Another element of our Yiddish program that might make it different from an academic Yiddish program is that we really are trying to facilitate close relationships between Yiddish speakers so we want people to come through to the program become really close with one another and actually continue to speak Yiddish outside of the program to expand our impact mm-hmm. and I've worked on yeah, I've worked in many communal farming programs and I've seen it as of, I've seen it very successfully create community and bring people together, get them really close to each other. Um, so there, there's a couple of models for it. I mean, this is uh, when people um, were immigrating to the land of Israel, uh, a lot of them were immigrants, they didn't speak Hebrew, and they sort of were able to, um, to integrate by living on the, uh, the kibbutzim. That's one model that um, is a successful uh, model of, of language immersion and teaching. Uh, there's also, in South Korea, they have these English villages where people live for a month, and uh, it's a mix of English students and native English speakers. And they sort of, they, they also sit in classes, but most of the time they're just living their lives, but living it in English. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's another successful model that we look to.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so how did you first start farming, and how did you learn Yiddish?
1: Um So I'll answer the first one first. Uh, I first, (laughs) when I was in college, I started getting interested in uh, the environmentalist movement and uh, sustainable agriculture, uh, just like everybody else in college was. Mm -hmm. At least that's how it seemed to me. And uh, I spent a summer working on a farm uh, near the Delaware River, and later I spent some other growing seasons uh, specifically on Jewish farms, and I had a really powerful experience living in a Jewish community on a farm.
0: Why is that uh, so hot in the Jewish community right now?
1: I think it's hot everywhere. Um, I, I, and I th- yeah, I mean, I'm not sure. Why is it hot in the Jewish community? Or um, is it
0: hot in the Jewish community? I That's sort of my sense, but I, I don't know. I
1: mean, I, I think it's hot in all um, urban centers Mm -hmm. um and that's where jews are congregated i I, i'm not i I mean i I, maybe it's been studied i I don't really know if it's uh hotter among jews than among other groups of people that are you know living in new york city and other urban centers where where a lot of jews congregate Mm -hmm. um i think it's hot because people there's a real longing um mean, people are longing for connecting to each other and connecting to nature and um there's been so many scandals with the uh, food production and distribution that people are sort of looking back to a time when things were simpler and you knew where your food came from and you knew that it was you know you knew who grew it. So, and I think um, I think this is sort of just part of that uh, trend that's going on.
0: And is that why you got involved in farming to begin with?
1: I I got involved in it because I thought it could uh, enrich my life in a meaningful way. Um, and then once I started, and I also I was sort of curious to see if um, if it's just this romantic thing that seems really nice in theory, but once you actually get down to it, it's not really that nice. Or is there actually something real, real there? Um, and I, I actually I, I do think obviously there is some element that is overly romanticized, but there are also real benefits to uh, living a lifestyle that's uh, close to the land growing your food. It is satisfying. And um, although it's stressful in some ways, because especially if you're relying on your income on the weather, which is, you know, which is a scary thing. Mm -hmm. um, It's not stressful in the same way that having an office job in the city is. Right, right. You get a lot of fresh air. So I started really enjoying it. And I um, really, I really, I really longed to incorporate it into my life. And I, I didn't really. Um, I felt for many years that I would have to choose between having a Jewish community and living close to nature, since Jews mostly live in urban centers. Mm-hmm. And I really wanted to be able to have both of those the Jewish community and living close to the land. Uh, so, Yiddish farm was a natural outgrowth of that.
0: Mm-hmm. And where did you grow up?
1: So, I grew up in Washington Heights in northern Manhattan and then also Riverdale in a Yiddish-speaking family. You asked before how I know Yiddish. Mm-hmm. Uh, my first language is Yiddish. Um, my, my, I come from a, a long line of uh, very active Yiddishists.
0: Just for the record, how old are you?
1: Oh, I am 26 years old. My, my great-grandfather was uh, attended the Chernovitz Conference in 1909, which is uh, sort of where the Yiddishist movement was uh, born, according to some people. Um, and my grandfather grew up in Chernowitz and was very active since his youth as a Yiddish activist, um, as well as his sister. And then um, they came to America uh, in the 1950s, and you know, gave their whole lives to, to Yiddish culture. Uh, my grandfather, specifically, to Yiddish language. Uh, he was a, a linguist and published many, uh, many textbooks and dictionaries and uh, articles that sort of had a goal of uh, promoting Yiddish, making sure people had the proper respect for the language, modernizing it, standardizing it, uh, teaching it. His children all are all ac- active in, uh, in the Yiddish shift movement. Uh, my mother writes in the Yiddish Forward, and she was a Yiddish teacher for many years.
0: So you got real <laughs> That's what yeah, you're trying yeah. To say. Yeah, <laughs> when I was
1: a kid, my mother actually started a, a Yiddish Sunday school.
0: So what stage is Yiddish Farm in now?
1: So I I worked for uh, many years um, sort of just making friends with people who were studying Yiddish or who already knew Yiddish and trying to bring people together, uh, organize events. And at a certain point, I I realized that we were putting a lot of work into it, and I I wasn't sure if the – I wasn't so satisfied with the results. Um, I felt like even though a lot of people were interested in Yiddish, they didn't really have an opportunity to become fluent. Um, there were some people who, you know, who studied Yiddish and actually became fluent, but it, it's it's just very difficult. I, I, I noticed that it's more difficult to become fluent in Yiddish than other languages because people just don't have the opportunity to use it. Mm-hmm. Um, so my friend Yisrael and I uh, decided together that we should start that we should start Yiddish Farm um, and have a summer program where people come and live on the farm and only speak Yiddish the whole time, and that in order for it to be successful, we would have to um, have both Yiddish students and native Yiddish speakers so that people could really become fully fluent in the language. Um, And it was, we decided it would be very important to bring in people from the Hasidic community um, where Yiddish is still a very, very much a living language Um, and sort of, it would be a really interesting opportunity to have different populations learn from one another. I think there's a lot that, um, that the Yiddish students can learn from the Hasidic people and there's a lot that the Hasidim could learn from Yiddish students and uh, and the you know the handful of Yiddishist uh, ideologues we could bring into it like myself uh, would also have what to offer and what to gain.
0: Yeah, that's a pretty unique venture in the Yiddish world to combine the secular and Hasidic worlds.
1: Yeah, I mean part of uh, that's part of our mission. I mean we felt like there was in order to really have a healthy future for Yiddish, we, we felt like there were certain things that just weren't happening and uh, we wanted to make it happen. So part of it was uh, providing opportunities for people to, a new context for people to use Yiddish, mm-hmm. um, which is actually, goes back to your earlier questions, another reason why a farm is good. It, it doesn't have to be a farm, but just the idea of of just doing something in Yiddish rather than having a program about Yiddish um, mm-hmm. is, is very healthy for a language, I think.
0: Right, um, right.
1: So, you know, I would love to see other projects, you know, where people were, I don't know, uh, I don't know, a carpentry company in Yiddish. You know, whatever it is, mm-hmm. like the more different types of things that are people are doing in Yiddish, um, the more it will develop. You know, we wanted to create a context for people to use Yiddish. We wanted to um, bring together people from different populations um, so that they could all learn from each other.
0: And is it ever a concern that people will speak Yiddish at Yiddish Farm but it's so out of the context of their normal lives that they sort of forget about it. I mean, that seems like even though people have this sort of unique opportunity to immerse themselves in Yiddish in a way that's not necessarily academic, that it could sort of be an issue that it's just so, you know, out of the context of the rest of what they're doing in their normal day-to-day that it might be an issue.
1: You're absolutely right. Um uh, yeah, that's uh, that's definitely something we do think about. I mean, it, it, we we sort of frame it as you know, what do we do the rest of the year when it's not uh, when the program's not happening? Mm-hmm. Um, yes, it's very important to keep people keep people active. We, we did um, we did have people fill out um, a like survey of uh, how often they use Yiddish, and we sort of wanted to measure if they're using it more after going through our program uh we haven't um we haven't followed up with them yet it was supposed to be uh a half year after the end of the program so it should be following up this month um but yeah i mean we we're definitely interested in figuring out how to carry that experience into the rest of the year um run events all the time and sort of just really create um uh, a structure for that i mean there are thank god there there are other opportunities for people to use yiddish um and those are great for people who already are who already know Yiddish to sort of keep it up. Um, our hope is that if people go through our program, then it'll sort of be easier to keep up what they have because they'll really, you know, really uh, keep them like fluent in Yiddish and then maybe um, it'd be easier for them to find those opportunities after.
0: And are you living at the farm all year or
1: um, definitely during your growing season. Um, the rest of the year I, I have most of my stuff there, but I, um, I do spend a lot of time uh, in the city um, promoting the program, uh, doing some fundraising, meeting with all kinds of people from other organizations to try to figure out partnerships and, uh, and lots of professional development to make sure that I, you know, I have the skills necessary to, to run this thing.
0: So you're running the program again this year, right?
1: Yeah, So right. So last year we did our pilot program. Mm -hmm. Um, We had um, total throughout the three weeks, and um, about 23 people, 23, 24, came through the entire time. Wow, Um, that's great. Not all of them were there the whole time. Some people were there for the whole three weeks, some people just for one week or for a couple of days. Um, This year we... um, we're actually re- going for the whole summer. Uh, we're launching a beginners program from May 29th until July 1st, um, and the advanced program is going to run from July 1st to August 20th. Um, the people are going the beginners program um, are not required to know any Yiddish coming in, and uh, we'll see we'll see how that works. I mm-hmm. mean, I, there there are, you know, the Middlebury language schools uh, successfully do that. They have people come in not knowing a word of the target language. And immediately being immersed and not being allowed to speak their you know any other languages, um, so it is possible to do that uh, and we'll see if uh, we'll see if we can make that happen. It'll definitely be an experiment. Uh, but so far we have uh, twelve people signed up on our website for the beginners program great and um, there's a bunch of other people who have told me they're coming they just uh, it's been hard getting them to sign up on the website
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> and are these all people you know already because the Yiddish no, world is no. so small? <laughs>
1: Not at all. Um, Last year, it was mostly people I knew because it was only an advanced program. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, the people in our advanced program will be many of them I I do know already. But the beginners program is almost all people that I that I don't know. There's one or two that I that I know.
0: That's great. And what's the age range?
1: Um, The youngest is eighteen, and the oldest is sixty-eight.
0: Great, great. Yeah. So that's quite the community. What's what are the other demographics? of the people coming? Do you have some sense um, of that yet? So it's
1: very different. For, so um, last year we, we really tried to, um, we really aimed to have a balance between uh, three different populations, um, the native-speaking Yiddishist, uh, you know, people from, like, the ideological Yiddishist community, like myself, um, people who studied Yiddish in universities, um, and people from Hasidic backgrounds. Mm-hmm. Um, and we want to, uh, we want to keep... Attracting from those three streams, um, the 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 people like myself are definitely a limited uh, commodity. Those mm-hmm. are hard to hard to find. Those people, um, but we do have um, we do have some. Um, the Hasidic population is, is endless. Obviously, um, we're actually uh, our farm is only 15 minutes from Kiryas Yol, which is uh, possibly the the highest concentration of Yiddish speakers in the world, or one, at least one of mm-hmm. them. Um, it's a Hasidic city of over 20,000 people. Um they just you know, they've created the city in the middle of uh Orange County in upstate New York. Huh. And um we have a relationship with the yeshiva there and uh a lot of uh a lot of people from Curious Y'all come to uh work on the farm and you know, learn about what we're doing. Mm-hmm. Um so uh, my vision for this summer is that a lot of those people will just be coming during the day and will be going will be sleeping at Curious you uh, but yeah, the uh the people in the beginners program, they come from all over the place. Uh we, I think we have someone coming from England, uh, from Australia, from California, and Chicago. Uh, someone signed up from South Africa, Canada.
0: Very international. Well, what are you growing?
1: So we're, we definitely want to do chickens this summer. Um, and also, I, I, I should say, I didn't order the seeds. That was uh, Um You should interview him, too. Okay. Um, <laughs> he, he founded the organization with me. I shouldn't take uh, too much credit. Okay. But we're, uh, you know... We're equal uh, partners in this venture. Mm-hmm. Um, he ordered um, squash, spinach, uh, popcorn, uh, peppers. We, we already planted garlic. There's some wheat growing. Um, and the rest, I don't know. You'll have to ask him.
0: So are you like an expert farmer, or do you have someone advising you on that front?
1: Um, yeah, so we, we get a lot of help from the Cornell Cooperative Extension. These are the the ag schools that uh, the government funds. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a great service. You know, you call them, they'll come out to the farm and give you all kinds of advice, tell you what kind of cover crop to plant, what kind of breeds you want to, you know, what kind of varieties grow well in your area, what kind of soil you have. You know, they're very helpful. Mm. Um, No, we're not experts, um, but we're hard workers, and uh, we learn from our mistakes.
0: How stringent is your immersion
1: you mean, are, are, you mean how much are they allowed to use other languages? Yeah. Um, we're figuring it out. I mean, I, I, my plan right now is that um, for the first two weeks, the beginners will be allowed to use um, English for one to two hours per day for the first two weeks.
0: And who is teaching the Yiddish classes?
1: Um, so we're figuring that out. So I, I would actually like to teach the beginners. Um, yeah. I mean, I have, um, I have about a decade worth of uh, Yiddish teaching experience.
0: And you're 26.
1: 26, yes. I started when I was in high school. They didn't have a Yiddish elective in my school, so I, I uh, asked the administration if I could teach a Yiddish elective. Uh, and they, they agreed, which was really nice. Mm-hmm. I was the only uh, student to teach an elective. So that was, uh, that was the beginning of that. Mm-hmm. And since then, I've taught in uh, synagogues and workmen's circles and um, privately for, you know, all over the place. In Brandeis, in uh, mm-hmm. Boston, in uh, New York City.
0: So, can I ask you a question? You're going to hate.
1: <laughs> yeah, go for it.
0: Um, what is your first love? Is it Yiddish? Is it teaching? Is it farming?
1: Yiddish. That's the that is the unifying factor. I I am attached to to all those things. Um. But if you know, if I, if we if for whatever reason like you know, we had to change direction and it was like, okay, listen, we can still do what we do, but it's not going to be through farming anymore. It's going to be through, you know, uh, living on a, on a, on a boat at sea and fishing, you know, <laughs> but it's still going to be all in Yiddish. And I'm like, uh, you know, okay, I guess we could do that. Um, but if, you know, if it became like, okay, listen, we're going to do the same thing we always do. It's just, we're going to do it all in English. Like then I'm out. I mean, mm-hmm. there's nothing for me to do. Yeah. Um, So, yeah, I mean, Yiddish is the ultimate thing. I I guess, I mean, but it's up there with uh, building a a community. I mean, if it was just, uh, that's also really important to me, just to have a really, really warm, supportive uh, network of people, you know, community. I mean, that's something that that people, a lot of people are, are missing.
0: Have you learned any new words since living on the farm?
1: Yeah, of course all the yeah absolutely any
0: examples
1: a is uh it's um a, a perch for a chicken like where it sits mm-hmm. um and uh katah is where it lives and hatka is uh like a wooden hut for people to live in and yeah mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff Beten are the um are, are like uh plant uh planting beds um grablia and uh, sache. These are farm tools. Grablia is a a rake and Hmm. uh, sache is a, how do you say it in English? I guess it's a a hoe. Uh
0: Well, it sounds very exciting and uh, we applaud your efforts to create a new Yiddish-speaking community. Um, it's, It's really along the lines of what we're doing over here too at the Book Center just in terms of trying to educate people and and bring them in and uh, show them what's engaging about Yiddish and Yiddish culture. So, thanks a lot for all of what you're doing. It's really great. You've been listening to a production of the Yiddish Book Center in Amherst, Massachusetts. For additional interviews and conversations, please visit our website www.yiddishbookcenter.org/audio. I'm Emma Morgenstern. Zaimir Stark und gesund. Be strong, be well, and tune in again soon.